as devastating as we've seen over the past week, Lord, you continue to encourage us that you still make all things new. And so we will continue to go forward with you. We praise you and thank you, God, for just a time of worshiping you. And as we focus our hearts and minds now, Lord, we pray that you would settle our hearts, settle our minds to hear your word. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. It is my absolute joy to welcome Daniel Yang, who is going to be our guest speaker this morning. Daniel directs the SEND Institute at Wheaton College, and it's a think tank for church planting here in the U.S., well, actually in North America. And before coming to Wheaton, uh, Daniel and his family planted Trinity Life Church in downtown Toronto, so he's a Canadian. Woohoo! I'm not Canadian, but I just encourage you. <laughs> so Daniel actually grew up in inner city Detroit. So, all right, Cece. Um, and he and his wife, before he and his wife, uh, Linda, got married at age 19. That's unbelievable. So they're both uh, second generation Hmong, and they're actually very passionate about multi-ethnic ministry. Um, God has blessed them with four sons, Justin, Connor, Joel, and John Abram, and we are so blessed and encouraged to have Daniel with us here today. So can we give him a really strong newcomer welcome? Thank you. Thank you, CCC. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Susie, for uh, the introduction. And um, my family is here. I've also got extended family, some Canadian family here with me as well visiting. I know I was talking to Peter yesterday. He's in New York City visiting some Newcom folks. And so I have some folks from Toronto visiting us as well. And they're right here in this section, right here, all the Canadians right there. So thank you for being here. I love you guys. Um, we've been showing them your city. They love your city. And so thanks for being here and worshiping with Newcom as well. My wife is here, and so um, uh, just really excited that Peter has asked me to be a part of your uh, worship service this morning. Peter's such a big part of my life in terms of just the church planning journey and what God's done um, through us and uh, in us over the last few years. And so Peter does so much more than lead this church. He's such a part of a larger community of people that are helping to move forward ministry that actually makes sense in North America. And so I really appreciate that about Peter, and um, as he, I've grown to know him a bit more, I wish I, could, I wish I could imitate him, because number one, he has this thing about him where he's got this energy, right? And the way he preaches, it's just, he's got so much energy. And, and the first time that I had heard Peter preach was back in 2009. You were still in your Seventh-day Adventist building. I don't know if some of you guys remember that building, but uh, I guess that was just a couple years ago that you were in there. And Peter was preaching out of uh, Acts chapter, well, Acts, sorry, it was Acts chapter 16, but Revelations chapter 3, about open doors, closed doors. And um, I was just sitting there, my, my family and I, we were just driving through Chicago. We decided to stop by. And it was in that moment that God had released so much um, uh, tension from what was going on in our life at the time. And he put so much uh, hope and, and so much uh, uh, destiny in us through your pastor. And ever since then, uh, I've just, I've loved learning from him. And uh, he's been a big part of just our journey. And I just want to say thank you for letting your pastor do those kinds of things to bless other church planners. Absolutely. So, um, 
I don't know if you realize this or not, Newcom, but you're a part of something that's bigger and something that's greater than just attending services and talking about, you know, um, uh, religious things. You're a part of, of something new that God is doing in North America. And probably you are feeling some of the tension and some of the difficulties of it because of the diversity of your congregation, where you're at in the city, uh, the things that you talk about, that you choose to talk about. You are a part of a, a new narrative that is evolving in North America. I know it's hard, but push through it. Let me encourage you this morning. Push through it because you are setting, you are at the forefront of what church will be like in North America in about 30 years. Keep going. You have to keep going. You are being a prophetic community uh, in this generation. And so I want to encourage you that that is your kingdom assignment. Don't back down. Keep moving forward in that. This morning, uh, we're going to do some things that might be not typical for your worship service, but that's okay. If you don't like it, I won't be here next week. That's fine. <laughs> Peter will be back. It'll be great, all right? But God's got something for you today. And at the end of our time together, we're going to do an exercise that I believe, even as we were worshiping and the music and all that stuff, that it's perfectly aligned with what the Holy Spirit has planned for us this morning. Uh, before we jump into um, uh, what I want to talk about, I want to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. We're going to kind of camp out on that passage. Later, we'll go to John 1, but this is the passage that's going to lead us today. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul writes. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may, say this word with me, prophesy. Okay. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This morning, I want to talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy. This passage mentions two gifts, tongues and prophecy. Uh, tongues are very important. Uh, I can't do it justice and try to do both this morning, so I want to focus on prophecy because this is the, Paul, this is the gift that Paul says builds up the church. Right? You're in the middle of a construction project, not that kind of building, uh, but the building up of the body of Christ's people. This is the gift. This is the one gift that if you're a tired church, builds the church back up. If you're tired in your ministry, if you're a tired leader, this is the one gift that gives you energy again. Right? I believe that the gift of prophecy actually is the most foundational spiritual gift. To say it another way, prophecy is the gateway gift to all other gifts. It is the gift of hearing God for other people. And when you hear God for other people, it exponentially increases your evangelism, your teaching, your leadership, your pastoring, your administrating, whatever gift it is. When you have the gift of prophecy underlying that, it exponentially increases all of those other gifts. In fact, prophecy inclines your ear towards God and your heart towards people. And perhaps that's why Paul says we should pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, if you're new to church or you're new to faith or if you didn't grow up using these terms like spiritual gifts and prophecy, I don't want to spook you this morning, okay? So if this is your first time, I don't want to spook you out or weird you out. Uh, but as a matter of fact, I want you to stay engaged with your mind and with your intellect 
I don't expect anybody to check your brains at the door. So many people mistakenly think that passionate, spirit-filled Christians are naive and gullible, and that's just not true. It's not true at all. The Bible actually says in other places that Christians shouldn't be naive and that you should think more, you should process more, you should weigh more what you hear and experience. That's what a good thinking Christian should do. But just as a word of advice, it's been my experience that the spiritual gifts are most effective when you're smart, but especially when you're humble, when you're humble. Humility and reverence are essential to God unleashing more of his spirit through you. As a matter of fact, pride and arrogance often diminishes God's activity in your life. Why is God not doing more? Look at your pride, look at your arrogance. Things like obsessive, obsessive intellectualism, which cities like Toronto were known for, or Toronto, my city, uh, Chicago, your city. See, I'm still, I've only been here two months, so I'm gonna say Toronto from time to time. That's okay, my people understand, okay? But cities like Chicago, your city, cities like the uh, Toronto that I planted in, they're filled with people like us who were intellectually obsessed with those kinds of things. But it's more often than not that it's pride that leads to unbelief. It's not rational thinking that leads to unbelief. As a matter of fact, pride will oftentimes give rational belief um, uh, the reason to not believe. It actually, uh, pride makes uh, unbelief uh, or makes rational thinking feel like unbelief. Um, and that happens to both faithful people and skeptics. It's not just skeptics that have faced that. We're both susceptible, those who believe and those who don't believe, we're both susceptible to doubt and unbelief. But the good news is this, God is not unfamiliar with doubt. God is not unfamiliar with belief. And the beginning of redeeming the mind of unbelief, the beginning of that starts with the gift of prophecy. All right. I'm gonna share two examples of prophecy. The first one about doubt, the second one about destiny, and then later we're gonna do something fun, okay? You gotta, you gotta participate with me. Uh, we're going to do some ministry with one another, uh, but we're going to practice one of the most practical ways in which you can do prophecy in the church. Um, so nothing easy. Nobody's going to speak in tongues. If, if you did, that'd be okay, all right? But uh, we're going to do some practical things. Uh, I told Peter, I want to make this real easy for you and uh, something that you can take home. So first, uh, I want to tell a story from uh, John chapter 1, how Jesus used the gift of prophecy to help somebody overcome doubt, okay? This comes from John chapter 1. You can turn there, verses 43 to 50. And this is what uh, John writes. It says that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything come, anything good come out of Nazareth? So note his doubt there. Note his cynicism. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So he sees Nathanael coming and he says to Nathanael, you can't fool that guy. He's actually affirming a little bit of like Nathanael's, a little bit of his skepticism. He hasn't met Nathanael yet, but he's coming. He's like, that guy, hey, behold this Israelite. You can't fool him. He's the real deal. Watch. So that's what he's saying. Nathanael says, how do you know me? Like, how do you know me? How do you know me? By the way, I grew up in inner city Detroit. I grew up in the toe of the ghetto. So have you seen Gran Torino? Anybody? You seen that movie? 
that's all about how I grew up, okay? So, <clears throat> how do you know me? How, how do you know me, he says. Jesus answered him, before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, Jesus didn't physically see Nathaniel prior to this conversation. Jesus saw and knew Nathaniel through his spiritual mind. Watch what happens to Nathaniel's skepticism and his cynicism in response to Jesus' prophetic vision about him. Verse 49 says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe now? You'll see even greater things than this. Something clicked inside of Nathaniel from that small prophecy. I saw you. I know you. While you were under the fig tree, I know what you were thinking about. That's why, you see, we don't know what Nathaniel was thinking about under the fig tree, but it was the fact that he was dealing with something, and Jesus knew he was dealing with something, and Jesus says, I know, I know, like, I know. And there was something about that. You see, he was a skeptic, he was a cynic, maybe even a little wounded, maybe even a little bit jaded by maybe his own faith, by religion. But he receives a tiny revelation about himself, and he responds to this insight with faith and belief. This tiny prophecy created a connection in his mind. Skepticism and unbelief is often a short circuit in our mind. It needs regeneration more than it needs research. It needs prophecy more than it needs persuasion. When our minds are the problem, when they're broken, and when unbelief is all that we can generate, you can't just think yourself into belief. You can't just research and persuade yourself more. You can't create the electrical circuits in your mind to believe more. You need regeneration. You need a gift of revelation. You need prophecy. And through this little prophecy, it was a tiny one. I saw you. Like, I know what you're thinking. That's all Jesus says. Through that tiny prophecy, it gave Nathaniel this new way to think about his life. He was now a believer. When uh, what spiritual regeneration does for our spirit, prophecy does for our mind. Think about that. What spiritual regeneration does to us, it makes, our makes us alive again. Uh, prophecy does that for our mind. I'm going to tell you a second story. It's a personal story of mine. It was a story recently of how I re was a recipient of a life-changing prophecy. Um, as uh, Sister Susie was saying, I planted uh, a beautiful church in downtown Toronto called Trinity Life Church. It was much like your guys' church here. Uh, during our first or second year, I began to be stirred uh, towards working a doctorate degree. I, I don't know why. It was just, I was just feeling stirred towards that. It's always been one of the things that I wanted to do. But in year one and two, it wasn't the right time. But I start feeling the stirring, and I would ask my wife, is it the right time for me to start um, a doctorate degree? And she says, this is not the right time, buddy. You just plant in a church. Just stay right here, buddy. And so I, yeah, I, was like, I, agree, I agree with that. I was like, that's a priority. We're not, I'm not going to start this doctorate degree. Uh, and so what happened was um, we got to year three and year four. Our church was growing, and it was a fantastic journey for us. Uh, my mom died, and so and that actually triggered a lot of just things inside of me, a lot of bent, just pent up like stress and those kinds of things. And so I started to, I wasn't at a breaking point, but I was, I was starting to get there. And so actually last July, I came down here, visited Peter, and Peter sat with me, and we shared some things, and Peter said to me, 
don't always say this to people, um, but I, this is, I think this is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he says, you need to take some time off. You need to at least six weeks. I'm going to be angry at you if you don't take some time off. And so uh, I actually came back home, and I shared that with my wife, Linda, and said, I th- Peter says, I think I need some time off, and, you know, maybe, maybe, I, sh- maybe I need to process my mom's death. You know, it was, we were just like a, a month and a half into that. And so um, we asked our board, and they gave it to us, and they were so gracious. So we did our six weeks. We came back, and I was super energized. I was ready to go. I was ready to dream. We're going to plant five churches. And so I was so energized and so ramped up. And so probably because of that energy, I began thinking about my doctorate degree again. And so my wife had told me a few years back that if by the year 2017, if you still want to start a doctorate degree, then you can do it in the fall. And so we were getting close to that point. So as a matter of fact, it was one Friday uh, afternoon, uh, September of last year, that I was sitting with our pastoral team. And towards the end of our, uh, our, our staff meeting, we started talking about my doctorate. And so what would that take? We spent about half an hour discussing that. We did it with uh, uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Adam, uh, our pastoral team. And the last question that they asked me before that meeting was over is, is this the right time, though? Is this the right time for your family? Is this the right time for the church? And frankly, I told them, I don't, I don't know, but I just feel like it's here. And so three hours later, uh, after that meeting with our staff team, I went home. It was a Friday afternoon. Picked up my family. We drove two hours outside of Toronto to the boondocks of the Toronto. And we visited this little Pentecostal church because there was a, a pastor from Connecticut that was coming to preach at that church that my wife had been podcasting. I didn't know who he was, um, but I, my wife was listening to him, and so oh, she wanted to go uh, hear him speak. And so we get into this little tiny Pentecostal church. It's about maybe 150 people. It's a Friday night, kind of revival-style kind of meeting. They were... Uh, um, uh, kind of assemblies of God kind of flavor, and so, uh, which I love that, man. I mean, your, your music, by the way, brother. Yeah, I, I, man, I'm like, whew. Uh, so it was kind of, which my kids were a little bit weirded out by it, but because the banner waving and all that stuff, they just didn't get that, and I was like, that's okay. Uh, you know, um, and so uh, people falling over, they were a bit, you know, uh, that was new for them, uh, but I'm like, hey, that's okay. I, I love that. Um, so, but with, we, you know, we were the only Asians. It was an all-white. Uh, uh, we were uh, in a kind of country part of Toronto, and uh, so nobody knew us. We stuck out like a sore thumb. Nobody, uh, we didn't know anybody. And so the guy who was speaking uh, towards the uh, uh, end of the worship, uh, uh, the singing time, he gets up to the stage and he opens up a little black notebook. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, "Is there a Dan or a Daniel here?" It's about 150 people. I think there's got to be about four of us. <laughs> and so, so he says it again because nobody answers it and nobody says anything. So he says, is there a Dan or a Daniel here? And then at this point, my, my wife is like poking me in the ribs. And I'm like, so I'm super nervous and I'm, I'm kind of doing one of these. And so I raise my hand and he says, can you stand up? And um, let me, let me t- my wife pulls out her camera because she knows something's about to go down. <laughs> And this, this is the only reason why I have this verbatim is because she pulled out the camera and she started recording. He said, I feel like there's a higher degree in the spirit that God is bringing you into this next season. Almost like a spiritual doctorate that God is putting over your head. And I feel like God is saying to you that you literally can complete a higher degree and you're going to have time. I feel like the Lord is saying you're going to have time to finish that as well as I feel like you're almost saying to yourself, but I need to make room for other people so that they can get into their flow of things. 
And I feel like the Lord is saying that you'll be able to go higher and that your family will come along you as well and that you'll be able to complete the process. But I feel that there's going to be favor for you to reach people in academia, in places of intellectualism. But you're not going to reach them just through argument or intellectual argument. Really, it's through experience of God. And I feel like what the Lord is going to do is really use you to heal the wounds that are in people, like smart people. Because smart people have wounds too. Isn't that funny? And we look at people with education and they have a good job or whatever. And it's like they got it all together. But there's wounds inside of there. And I feel like the Lord is going to use you to take people who look like they have it all together, but on the inside, there are some pieces that are missing, and you're going to help them find those missing pieces. It's like a so-so deliverance kind of wholeness you're going to bring to them in the academic world. So needless to say, when he said that to me, our jaws, my son, Connor, I remember him looking at me saying, hey, Dad, isn't that, aren't you thinking about a doctorate? I'm like, that's the point, son. <laughs> It's just like we taught our church that when you hear God, you have to trust him and obey. We took that prophetic word and we prayed for it over three weeks. There's a lot of other details that I won't mention, but it's been less than a year now. We now live here in Chicago. I started a PhD last week, and without ever happening to knock on any door or even asking for an opportunity, I'm now a director at an academic institution. Prophecy not only overcomes doubt, but prophecy releases people into their destiny. It is the gift that builds up, consoles, and releases people into their destiny. It doesn't have to be this dramatic all the time. You say, I, I think that I am an, uh, I'm not a good listener, and maybe perhaps that's why God was so dramatic with me. <laughs> I can be ignorant at times. I can be slow. I can be very uh, prideful. And so I think God needed to do things like this to get my attention. But, you know, more often than not, if you're flowing in the Holy Spirit, you're, you're prophetic all the time. So it helps you to overcome doubt. It helps you to release other people into destiny. But more often than not, prophecy is primarily used to instill in you a greater sense of your true identity, who you are, what we've been singing about this morning. So the rest of this morning, I want to share one of the best applications of the gift of prophecy that is a powerful tool for evangelism, but also a powerful tool for building up the body of Christ. And here's what we're going to talk about for the next, they said 10, 15 we may play around with that time frame a little bit, but I hope you're okay with that. Uh, prophecy overcomes lifelong shame that holds people down. Prophecy overcomes lifelong shame that holds people down. All right, listen closely to this. When someone speaks a word that doesn't originate from God, it may not even come from themselves, possibly even from the enemy, they speak accusation they speak accusation it might even be true some of it but because it's from the enemy because it's not from God that word is accusation and accusation always creates shame in people's life as a matter of fact go ahead turn to your neighbor and accuse them of something real quick and see how they respond no I'm just kidding <laughs> I see this section over here like okay no I'm just joking don't, don't do that that's not the exercise this morning 
accusation always creates shame in people's lives. There's a proverb in the Bible that says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is how it works. A false idea is sown by an authority figure, a person of influence, mom, dad, maybe somebody you like, maybe even a pastor, maybe, I don't know, some authoritative person of influence. The person receives that false idea as an accusation. It's usually against their identity, self-worth, potential. It might not have even been meant to be offensive. That's the way that it's being received. Over time, that accusation becomes shame, and the shame becomes the lens through which they begin to see themselves, and they begin to see everything else. This is more than psychology. This is spiritual warfare. This is the shame honor culture that the Western world now lives in, by the way. We are in a shame honor culture in the West, by the way. I understood that easy because I was Asian and us Asians are all about, you know, uh, honor and shame. And, but what you don't realize is that we now live in a full-blown honor shame society. This is not just psychology. This is spiritual warfare. By the way, Genesis uh, already talked about human psychology long before Freud came along. Did you know that? We see in the story of the Garden of Eden that the enemy uses a serpent to speak a false idea, accusing the first humans, which lead them to disobedience, resulting in what? Shame and hiding. It's all there. Are you hiding this morning? If someone accused you of something, God has so much freedom for you. You need to hear from him. Here's one of the most prevalent categories that I've seen as a pastor and just as an observer. The most common category of this is an overperforming father sees his easygoing child and instead of seeing a gentle, mild-mannered child, he sees a lazy child or a useless child. And he begins to speak that over his child and sometimes overtly, other times more as an undercurrent. And the word lodges in the child's mind and in their heart and then they begin to live into that narrative. And even after the father repents, the damage is done, how can the shame be overcome? When we speak things that don't originate from God, that might not even be from ourselves, that could be from the enemy, we speak accusation. And accusation always creates shame. But check this out, all right? But when we speak things that originate from God the Father, when we speak things that originate from God the Father, we prophesy. Prophesying is the most powerful weapon to overcome shame for three reasons. Number one, we, miss, we uproot misperception with God's perspective. We uproot. We say, child, you are not useless. We uproot misperception with God's perspective. Secondly, we correct accusation with God's pardon. You're feeling accused? Hey, God's pardon, God's forgiveness, God's love. We, we correct that accusation. Child, you don't need to live in shame, by the way. Did you, did you hear that you don't have to be ashamed? And then thirdly is we replace accusation with true identity and true purpose. We say, child, in Christ, you have a new motivation for work in life. You don't live for victory. You live from victory. The gospel says that even if you were the most useful human being on earth, you couldn't earn the love of God. By the way, Jesus did it all. You're not just useful. You are beloved. 
we instill true identity and purpose. This isn't just psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is human psychology. This is prophecy because the source of these words is God the Father himself. Healing shame only happens when you're truly known. When you're truly known, when you're truly known, when you're truly known, that's only when shame can be overcome. And only God truly knows, God truly knows, God truly knows people. And the only way that you can help look into people's shame and see it the way that God sees it is if you begin to hear God about them, for them. Nathaniel goes to Jesus and says, "How how do you know me? And Jesus says, before when you were in the, 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 under the picture, I saw you. I already knew you. And the healing came in. God's words, prophecy, is the beginning of overcoming accusation and shame. Paul, Paul explains this in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you look at verse 4, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and their consolation. You see? Yeah. This is the gift that fortifies, that builds community. Uh, This is the one that gives other people confidence and affirmation. It releases people to be confident in what God's called them to do. It releases them into destiny. Prophesying, by the way, is not a matter of saying, thus saith the Lord, or let me tell you who you're going to marry. I know some of you guys want to know that question, uh, answer to that question, okay? That's not necessarily prophesying, all right? So, you know, all you guys, don't, 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 don't line up Pastor Peter's office and say, hey, can you tell me, you know, who it is, who she is? Is it, you know, this person or that? That's not necessarily prophesying, okay? All right? Prophesying is God using you and me to defend each other from false accusations, because those arrows fly every day. Every day. And a lot of times it's friendly fire. To uproot lies, to instill truth. Newcom, hearing God for other people is absolutely crucial for you being the church that God's called you to be in Chicago and in the kingdom of God. You must practice this every day. I don't see how you do it without doing this. There are too many lies that flood your pastors, that flood your leaders, that flood your uh, church members, that flood the people around you. Those lies are going all the time. If you're not hearing God for those things, the best that you can do is give good advice. The best that you can do is strategize and plan, but you can't say what God is saying unless you're tuned in to what God is thinking and what God is seeing. And the only way you do that is if you accept the fact that potentially, you don't have to use the word prophesy. Potentially, God could actually speak to me truth that could correct the situation, correct what people are thinking. It's a gift for all people. It's not a gift for just the ministers or the leaders or the charismatics. Or, right? I've met some very high church liturgical people that are very prophetic, and they don't dance crazy or sing, and I, which I love that stuff, but, and they are very prophetic people. This week, you will have somebody in your home You'll have somebody at your dinner table, and they're going to talk to you about how disappointed they are. I'm so disappointed. I might, I'm, I think I'm going to leave. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, leave my marriage. I think I'm going to leave this church. I'm thinking I'm going to leave, you know, our friendship. And you're going to start to discern in your heart that what that person is experiencing, there's something there that's not right. And you're going to feel a little bit like uh, tense because you don't have advice to give them. But here's the thing. That situation isn't there so that you can strategize and plan necessarily. In those moments, that's when you say, okay, maybe there is a strategy, maybe there is a plan, but before we get to that, you say, Father, what are you you, you saying? Or Jesus, what are you seeing? 
Or spirit, what is the truth in this matter? And when it comes, you have to speak it. Prophesying isn't prophesying if you're just thinking it, okay? Now, some of y'all, you have the gift of criticism. That's not prophesying, okay? So, uh, uh, but when it comes and you think it's from God and you feel a bit nervous and you feel like it might be a little bit off, but you know you're doing it from a place that's, you know, from a pure heart and you, you have to speak it. As a matter of fact, sometimes I've discovered in my own life that prophecy doesn't happen until you actually speak it, which is kind of weird, but I'm glad God doesn't have to always use my mind every time that he'll actually just inspire me on the spot. But if you're not saying, Holy Spirit, what is actually going on, that you can actually perpetuate accusation if you're not hearing from God. You might actually feed into the storyline that's already playing, the negative tape. And so you have to bypass that. You have to short-circuit that and create a new connection because only God truly, 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 truly knows what's going on. And we can't, it doesn't, you don't need small groups to, to just study and, and, and eat food if you're not doing this day by day. This, it, you will feel weak and tired and you'll feel like you're a part of a religious system. You'll never feel like you're the church of God. You, know, you could be a church of 50 people and be vibrant because you're flowing in God's spirit. You could be a church of 500 and be depressed and tired because you don't have God's spirit flowing. I want us to try an exercise together. All right, we got about 10 minutes. Um, I'm going to ask um, Carlton maybe to, to play some background and Jesus said to Nathaniel, I saw you. Before you came here, I saw you. I want you to pair up with somebody this morning. And we're going to try an exercise. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me disarm any potential uh, <clears throat> pressure. Um, I'm not asking you this morning to speak uh, a person's life plan out to them, okay? I'm not saying that you should start telling them what they should do what person they should marry, which job they should take. That's not what this is all about this morning, okay? Uh, I want us to uh, have the, um, the freedom to maybe get some things wrong, maybe to sound a little bit silly. Um, but here's the thing. I want us to be willing to entertain the concept that God knew that somebody was going to walk in here. He saw them before they came in here today. And he wanted to give them a message about something. I don't know what that is. He may just want to encourage somebody. And you happen to be the person that he wants to facilitate that through today. And so what I want for us to do is pair up with somebody. If you're comfortable with a stranger, somebody new, that's great. But if you're not that type of person, whoever you're comfortable with, that would be great. And we're going to start the activity by this, okay? Uh, you're, somebody's going to go first. And you're going to say, I, I see you. And pause for a minute. And again, let the awkward silence go by. It, it'll feel awkward. That's fine. And if you need to close your eyes, you begin to pray. Father, what do you, what do you hear? What are you saying? Jesus, what, what are you seeing? Holy Spirit, what's the truth? And whatever it is that comes to mind, I, I want you to have the courage to just share that. And again, uh, I've been in instances where it, it was something from as profound as a scripture passage that hit right in the nail to somebody literally saying to me, all I see is a red couch. <laughs> and I tried hard, real hard to, to make red couch spiritual, and it just wasn't spiritual. So I'm still praying about that one, okay? 
I want us to be open to the fact that we can get it wrong, or maybe this is an exercise. You know, you know, prophecy is just like evangelism. If you don't do it, you'll never be good at it. Same thing, same spirit, different manifestation. The more you do it, the more better you get at it, the more discerning you are. And so, uh, um, but also, I want to give you permission that this morning, maybe in the midst of practicing this, you will speak a life-giving word that will release somebody from a lifetime of shame. All right? So let's do this. Why don't you stand up so everybody feels